You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You are tuned in once again to another breathtaking episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from ESPN.com, and I have got a new microphone, which hopefully will head off some of the terrible sound problems that we had last week, which... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like this. Your, your microphone looks better than mine now. Well, technically, the, I do should point out that they are both my microphone. Well, okay, fine. I guess now we're just going to be a jerk about the whole <laughs> microphone situation. Uh, but, all right. If, if Chad sounds somehow more knowledgeable, I think we all know why. He is on performance-enhancing microphone. Mm, last week's sound quality issues prompted fellow journalist Jeremy Botter to say I sounded like the spawn of the devil, which I... <laughs> Nicest thing anyone's ever yeah, said about I you, take really. It as a, I take it as a compliment. Anyway, the voice you already hear, as always, every week, your other co-host for our show, my friend and yours from MMAfighting.com, Ben Folks. Ben, how are you? I'm excellent. Here we are, coming off of uh, the UFC's best Fox card ever in the history of all four Fox cards. Uh, I'm riding high, my man. Riding yeah. high. No, I think we all are. Uh, today's show, per usual, will be in three rounds. Round number one, previewed by Mr. Folks just a moment ago. The UFC did its best show ever on the Fox Network this past weekend. <laughs> but did anybody watch it? Round number two. The Lyoto Machida era has begun in the UFC Uh-oh. again. And round <laughs> number three, yeah, the Lyoto Machida era has resumed. Yeah. Uh, round number three, uh, another day, another rematch in the lightweight division coming up this weekend at UFC 150. But first, before we talk about any of that, you know the drill by now. Every week we request that you send us your questions, comments, and concerns about the world of mixed martial arts. And almost every week you do. And this week, no exception. We got some good ones. So we're going to do uh, listener mail right now. An expanded, I should say, slightly expanded episode of listener mail this week because, once again, Sir Nigel Longstock is on assignment and will <laughs> yes. not be present with us this week for Master Tweet Theater. So we apologize to you Master Tweet Theater fans in advance. All four of you. Anyway, uh, question number one comes from Claire Hammond, and she writes... I'm writing this question before the fights this weekend, so already we've started off. Uh, but I appreciate her giving us that, let's, let's think back in time to how young and, and innocent we were before the fights. That's right. Actually, so much we didn't know. Claire's question takes on, I believe, a note of additional melancholy after these fights, because <laughs> here's her question. Uh, I think it's still, I, th I think this question will still be valid after the fights, she says. Uh, has the UFC done to Phil Davis what you guys talk about some fans doing to fighters after hyping someone up, that they, they, then they lose, and then you just sort of write them off? I think Phil Davis is awesome. He has one loss to Rashad Evans, and yes, has been out injured, but he is back fighting a newcomer in the UFC, and he has not been among any the talk of any of the title con contenders even though all four of the title contenders have already lost to the current light heavyweight champ right yeah. maybe i should have read that one before we started because yeah it was a little rough there yeah, but was a little you, rough, get, but the, you think, get the drift i think we all get the idea and the I, I think that uh she is right in saying that that is a very relevant question after the fights uh and you do you look at that okay back in january phil davis undefeated you know, whiz kid. Everybody's talking about how he's going to be the guy to really challenge John Jones right. and give John Jones runs for his money. Uh, he loses one decision to a more experienced fighter, 
And then when they bring him back, it's on the he goes suddenly from the main event of the Fox card to the Fuel TV prelim portion. Like just that alone. Yeah. Let that sink in alone. That yeah. that in itself is a screw job, is it not? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, when we get into our rounds, I think we're going to probably talk about a little bit more about the makeup of the televised Fox card. Uh but yeah, Phil Davis kind of a kind of getting the shaft. <laughs> taking the shaft, if you uh, taking will. Taking the shaft. Taking the shaft, I, walking I know that away. That makes you uncomfortable. Uh, but, but, and here's the thing like, yeah, he lost the one fight to Rashad Evans, but, like, I would, I would say that, in my opinion, he and Alexander Gustafson are probably the two guys in the division that you would even theorize have the tools to give John Jones a good and fight. He's beat Alexander Gustafson. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is that when you think about now, who's the guy who people are saying that about now? That, like, oh, this guy is going to be the next guy? It's, Glover Tashira, right? That's the guy. <laughs> it's Alexander Gustafson is the guy people are saying that about now. That, oh, you know, if he gets one more fight, I've heard a lot of people saying, hey, how, how about have Machida fight Gustafson and the winner gets John Jones? I would think that would be kind of awesome. Uh, again, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into our, our speculative matchmaking there. But, you know, it's like we do it, fans do it, UFC does it, where everybody will seize on this one guy and say, all right, this is the guy. And Glover Teixeira is probably going to be the right, next guy right. we do that on. And then as soon as there is any, like, any indication that maybe that's not the case or maybe it's not the case right now, then boom. Off to Fuel TV, you go to the, the cable TV wasteland, uh, and then, you know, you see how that fight turns out even more. Like, you really got to feel bad for Phil Davis. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he gets that, that eye poke and ends up being a no contest after a minute and a half. Here's the thing, also. I'm going to take this opportunity to get mad at the, the broadcast team. Everybody's sitting around after that fight, and, and then even when they cut to, to Ariel and in the interview, like, everybody wants to try and analyze well, I don't think I was going Phil Davis's way, or I don't. I didn't like how he wasn't using his wrestling. The fight lasted a minute and a half before the eye poke, and it was a no. You can't say anything about how that fight looked. Yeah, you they can't. were really giving it to him on the at the desk. Yeah, you know, they were talking about how he wasn't following the right game plan or wasn't whatever. Wasn't using like, his wrestling. Wait, he was ninety seconds long. Yeah. Well, they said the same thing about Cain Velasquez, right? He went out there for yes. 64 seconds against Junior Dos Santos, and there was a lot of talk about his game plan. I mean, uh, just what do you want the guy to, to shoot in the first 10 seconds like this is UFC 4 or something? Frankly, and he, yes. And he only has one skill set he can use? I want more ponderous double leg dives from like six feet away like Dan, <laughs> Dan uh, Severn used to do. Uh, question number two this week comes from Liam who says with the announcement of the most highly anticipated rematch of recent times, Tim Sylvia versus Andre Arlovsky four, if you were to give the fights a name, like the old UFC cards, what would it be? I know what mine would be. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Okay. What is this one? Yet one FC 14. I want to say is what it is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would think that, uh, it's the one FC where Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky are trying to kill each other. So one FC 14 for, uh, just for effect. Okay. 1FC14. Sad sacks. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, that's depressing. I'm going to say I would go with 1FC14 worst case scenario. Oh, wow. I like that one. Yeah. That one actually sounds like something you could name an event. Well, yeah. And I mean, I can imagine, like, I, I kind of like had this flashback to like, what, like 2006 or something, where I can imagine offhandedly in conversation. Tim Sylvia's, you know, throwing back Bud Lights in the club and says, oh, you know, worst case scenario, me and Andre just keep going back and forth on this thing. Yeah. And here we are. Wow, you really put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, we are, I would think, well past the point at this point where if anyone in the world loves Andre Arlovsky, don't they have to take him aside and say, 
hey, man, something really bad is going to happen to you if you keep doing this sport. Yeah, I mean, that there's something especially scary about the the dudes where the knockout just starts to happen super easily. Mm-hmm. Like, more so, because sometimes it's like you worry about the kind of guys who their style and their temperament is such that they have to take a tremendous beating in every fight. Um, and But then sometimes, like, those are the guys that, you know, they don't necessarily get knocked out. And so you wonder, like, are they absorbing more punishment? Because... You know, a guy like Leonard Garcia, who is just gonna wants to keep walking forward into your stuff for three rounds. You know, is he taking more punishment than the guy who gets clocked once and goes down? But then, when you used to be able to take it a little better, and now you know a strong breeze knocks you unconscious, we got to worry about what's going on in your brain at that point. It's nothing good. Yeah, it's the kind of situation that leads you to watch old videos of Chuck Liddell and realize with some horror that when just when he speaks, yeah. he sounds like a completely different person yeah now from when he was you know at the height of his powers i wonder five, sometimes with some of the brazilians like with vanderlei silva like because it's hard to understand what he's saying anyway because of the the accent and the language difference yeah are we or for that matter andre arlovsky you would probably never yeah. know right well yeah are we more apt to miss stuff like that like those kind of changes um with non-native english speakers because we just don't hear it yeah, I would think absolutely, right? Because Ed Soares isn't going to do the translation and be like, well, I couldn't really understand what he said because he's been punch drunk for five years. You know, anyway. you, don't, you don't think Ed Soares is going to give it to us straight like Probably that? Probably not, man. Uh, question number th- three this week comes from Brady Carlson, who asks, what do you think about Anderson Silva's team? He put team in, in quotation marks. Yeah, I don't know that? why. Like, I mean, they are his team, right? Yeah. It's not. Anyway, what do you think about... Anderson Silva's team turning down fights with Chris Weidman and other, in my eyes, suitable middleweight opponents. Does his position as quote-unquote best ever give him the ability to take whatever fights he wants in the twilight of his career? Will he really wait for a super fight with George St. Pierre? Uh, you know, it seems like this the GSP super fight has become more of a possibility in recent weeks, but I still don't really believe that we're going to see it. I think it's the more likely of the two super fights that everyone wants to see, but even in its status there, I don't think is one that is actually going to materialize. And to to speak to Brady's first question, uh, I think it's total bullshit. Total bullshit. Especially since uh, the, the, the Silva camp seems to act with this disdain toward guys who are just newly minted middleweight contenders and, in their opinion, haven't really proved themselves in the division. Man, Anderson Silva won one fight against Chris <laughs> Lieben, and then they gave him a title shot against Rich Franklin. But here's the thing. When they were talking about the, the situation most recently and when they shot down the idea of Chris Weidman, but then said, but the Nick Diaz suggestion? Hey, we're open to that. Like, okay, you don't think Chris Weidman has done enough You know, the guy who is rolling through middleweights in the UFC. However, a welterweight coming off a loss and who is currently suspended, that's the guy you think, like, okay, well, he's earned it. Like, it is unsavory for a a champion to try and use that position to dictate, like, the matchmaking and the way that goes. The thing about being the champion is that you should be willing to fight anybody. Absolutely yeah, anybody. I would might suggest that the 37-year-old greatest of all time middleweight champion is not being 100% honest with us when he says he doesn't think Chris Weidman has <laughs> earned a shot. It's just me. I don't know. That's just highly well, speculative I also don't part, get but. the idea, and you know, Brady alludes to it a little bit, as, as if being the best ever and being that, that top guy, you know, even among other UFC champions, somehow gives you a special right 
to turn fights down. If anything, being the best ever should mean that you have left less reason to, to turn down fights, right? I mean, you, you should absolutely be, like, if you are the best ever, if you want us to keep calling you that, then fight everybody. Absolutely no, man, he's everybody. just going to coast it out fighting welterweights from here on out. <laughs> All right. The, the final question for this week comes from Chris Casement, who sends us a handy pronunciation guide for his last name, saying that it's like basement with a C. See, that's what you got to do, people. Help, yeah. help Chad out. Yeah. He's, he's going to screw it up otherwise. Uh, with the talk about the Olympics, the topic of MMA... Wait, did I screw that up? With all the talk about the Olympics, the topic of MMA has come up among the MMA media, and I'm curious about your take. I think he means if MMA could ever be in the Olympics, right? Yeah, I think that's where we're going here. Uh, He says, mine is that I find it hard to believe that it will be included in the games anytime soon because of its brutality. Uh, Boxing is tamed down with headgear, and because of that, you rarely get knockouts. It's all about point fighting. The Olympics is a fairly family-friendly event, and I just don't see it being included. Yeah, I'm with Chris here. This seems to be, I think, as you said right before we started recording, this is a topic that simply will not go away. Uh, And it seems to be a, a real popular pipe dream for a lot of people. I will say... I don't think you're ever going to get MMA in probably during our lifetime. Uh, just when you start to think about the, the other sports that are out there that aren't in the Olympics, I don't think that it's one, as Chris says, is family friendly for them to put in the Olympics. I mean, you don't even have Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the Olympics just because it doesn't really appeal to a broad enough audience. But see, that's where I think the focus should be is yeah. getting Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Baby steps, in other words. Well, I mean, I don't even or just think, submission wrestling. Yeah, well, I don't even think it should be like we want to get Brazilian jiu-jitsu or some kind of submission grappling into the Olympics as a foothold, like, you know, way to get the foot in the door for MMA. I don't really think we want MMA in the Olympics because, like, if you look at the example of boxing right. and the boxing around this year's Olympics has already had some just absolutely disgusting controversies in it, I don't think it would really be... I don't think it would resemble even the sport that we know as MMA if it were in the Olympics. You definitely aren't going to see like George St. Pierre, you know, fighting to, to represent Canada in the Olympics. They're not going to do that. It would just be like, you know, amateurs basically. And I don't think, I mean, fighting sports is the kind of thing where it's too risky for you to do it for free. Uh, I think that submission grappling or jujitsu, that's safe enough. Injuries are rare enough. And hell, you got wrestling and you got judo in there already. So you know, you're basically just blending the best parts of both of those. I think that's a completely reasonable thing. And I think then you could actually have, like, awesome pros. You know, then I think you might see George St. Pierre uh, represent Canada if it were submission wrestling in the Olympics. I think that would be awesome. Uh, and I also think it would just be a lot more fun to watch than some dumbed-down, you know, tamed-down, as he says, version of MMA. In the, I mean, it's like... We're going off about these various Olympic sports that are kind of bullshit. You look at some of the stuff that's in there. For one thing, watching fencing in the Olympics makes me upset. Makes me physically angry. Yeah, no, I'm with my brother this week, uh, at Zach Dundas, by the way, if you nasty. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, uh, who said this And week, buy his book. Yeah, buy his book, The Renegade Sportsman by Zach Dundas. Find it on find it on Google, Amazon.com. Uh he he said, you know, if you're going to have fencing, you ought to have a broadsword event as well. And I'm totally on board with that. I think that would be... And hey, jousting? Yeah, let's get some joust. But it's like you look at fencing, right? Like, you've got guys ostensibly sword fighting. But there is no danger that anybody's going to be hurt. They've taken any kind of element of fear out of sword fighting. Right. Like, it's a thing that people used to do, like, to settle disagreements... 
uh, and would sometimes kill each other doing. And they are wearing like a huge mesh face thing so that nobody accidentally gets their eye poked out and nobody gets hurt. All you see is like a couple quick movements and then somebody raises their hands in victory and there you go. I mean, it would be like if they turned pistol dueling into an Olympic sport and they used like Nerf guns. Oh, that'd be pretty cool, actually. I might be into Stop. that. You know what the best thing, it just, it just occurred to me, you know what the best thing about the Olympics, having MMA in the Olympics would be Mazagati. <laughs> like seeing Mazagati in his black polo shirt with the Olympic rings on it, coming out on NBC being like, are you ready? Are you ready? Well, let's get it on. Probably having his sweet mustache make it almost worth it for L- me. Let's get it on. Come on, I believe is his. Is that what he says? Let's get it on. Come on. Yeah. So he doesn't have to give John yeah. John McCarthy two, 20 grand every time he says it. <laughs> That's how he gets around it. Anyway, that is listener mail for this week. Wait, wait, wasn't there one more listener mail that was not a question? It was just a comment. Just a comment, yeah. but it was kind of an awesome comment. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was from Stu. Is that right? Hold on. G- give me one second here. Uh, because we do say... As you yeah, said questions top, or comments, yeah, concerns. Yeah, but yeah, we only, yeah, we never read any concerns. Well, yeah, I'm not going to read your concern. <laughs> Believe me, we get a lot, mostly from parents. Uh, yes, this is from Stu, and it just says, "Waving your karate hands around and waiting for Ryan Bader to run into your fish should not get you a title shot." Just saying. Yeah, that was my favorite comment. That's of the it. Week. That's yeah. all it says. Yeah, not a question at all. Just a comment. Just should be thrown out there. And you know, again, a good example for the listeners out there: brevity. It's probably going to get you on the air. And when your name is just says from Stu, I mean, we can't fuck that up. No, that's pretty easy to do. Anyway, that's listener mail for this week. Uh, You know how to get in touch with us. Go to the website, comaineventpodcast.com. Click the handy link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. If we like your question, we'll read it on the air and maybe we'll answer it. Or if you just have a, a Stu style comment, that might get it done too. Some concerns maybe. But as you know, right now, we're going to go ahead and segue into round number one. Round one. Well, lest we be called haters, Ben, let's let's start out with uh, the good stuff from this weekend's uh, event. And as we said at the top of the show, um, I think it, it goes without saying that this was the UFC's best all-around slickest uh, and, I would say, least awkward offering on Fox to date, uh, both in and outside of the cage. I mean, you got a bunch of really good fights. You got Mike Swick uh, managing to couple the feel-good story of the night with sudden breathtaking violence, which I think is <laughs> what you always want. That's America right there. In, in America, you got Joe Lousen lining his pockets with uh, two post-fight uh bonuses after his submission win over Jamie Varner. And then you had Lyoto Machida baiting Ryan Bader until Bader launched a vicious headbutt to Lyoto Machida's fist (laughs) and went to sleep. And of course, in the main event, uh, a suddenly urgent Brandon Vera giving Shogun Hua a pretty decent run for his money until the fourth round. Um, And as I said, outside the cage, I really felt like almost like the UFC broadcast and the UFC Fox marriage had sort of hit its stride in this event, because I really thought that almost all of the like out of the cage po- uh, pre-fight vignettes, all, like all the hype footage was pretty well done. And yeah. it was not only a nice break from the normal, like black and white thing where guys are clearly reading lines at the beginning yes. of the UFC pay-per-views enough of that. Uh, and so I thought, you know, Fox brought a little of their style to this, to this broadcast. And I thought it really worked. 
better than than we had seen in the past. So I suppose those those are the positives. The negative, I think, would be, and, and we don't know the extent of it yes, I, yet, I guess, would be that the UFC went up head-to-head against the Summer Olympics. So the question is, uh, the UFC put on a great card of fights, but did anybody watch it? Yeah, that is the question. And, you know, you see their ratings numbers, and it's, it's not horrible, uh, especially when you factor in the Olympics on the same night. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason for them to be upset with that. And as you say, hey, maybe this just if you're figuring out what you want this relationship to look like this, how, and how you want these, these broadcasts to look, then as long as you get another one under your belt and things go well, that can never be a bad thing. I think the question is, like, we're still, we asked this before with some of the Fox fights. I think we asked it last time with uh, Diaz Miller. Like, what do we want? What does the UFC want out of these Fox cards? Yeah. What do we want to do? Because they yeah. don't want to put title fights on there. They don't want to, they want to save the really good stuff for pay-per-view. Here, awesome night of fights. But is it enough, first of all, to get people in the door, to get people to see that fight card and want to watch it if it's, you know, Shogun Hua and Brandon Vera at the top of it? Uh, I mean, do you just rely? Because, I mean, this one, yeah, all four fights on the on the main card were awesome. So maybe you have that effect where you have people calling each other up, being like, hey, dude, turn on the TV. you got to see these fights. Uh, but, you know, you can't always count on that. So still, again, what do we want to do with these Fox cards? What What is it supposed to be doing? Yeah, to me, uh, it, it seems like the UFC is kind of going about it the wrong way. And I know that their business model is still very much built around pay-per-view obviously so they want to save the top attractions for for pay-per-view cards and it seems like i think we talked about this maybe once before that what they want to do with these fox cards is kind of build toward pay-per-view because the last well this event and then the la- the, the event before last was the one where uh, rashad evans fought phil davis so you had a couple of number one contender fights it seems like in, if there's any uh, uh driving you know philosophy behind making these cards it's that they're trying to make number one contenders and maybe try to drive that Fox audience toward the pay-per-view where that guy eventually fights for the title. In my opinion, if you're, if you're trying to go out and like establish a base among these like mainstream fans that may be a little bit interested in MMA, but haven't really quite caught the fever yet. Uh, I think what you want to do is put your best foot forward, right? You want to put your best fighters out there. You want to put, uh, you want to put the best product that you possibly can out there on these Fox shows. So for me, I would say that a couple of times a year, at least, if the UFC is going to do on average four or five Fox fight cards a year, I would say you need to put a couple of title fights on there yeah. every year, like one or two at least. Yeah, and you can understand why they wouldn't want to do that going up against the Olympics. That, that you know, it doesn't matter what you put up there; you're still going to you know get the hell beat out of you by the Olympics. But yeah, if you can pick out one or two of those cards a year, put on a title fight, and just tell yourself. You're sacrificing some of that pay-per-view money for long-term gain in fans. I mean, the problem is, it's like we criticized them back in January when they put a bunch of wrestlers on the Fox card. And it was the same kind of deal where it was like, okay, the the draw is number one contender fights, basically. Uh, And then, you know, wrestlers did their wrestler thing. It wasn't terribly exciting. And, you know, we criticized them for that. This time, put together some fights that... Looked pretty exciting on paper. Turned out to be even better in practice. I think, I mean, there's no way you, you could have even hoped that it would go any better than that. Especially, like, look at Joe Lozon and Jamie Varner. That's yeah. a great, great fight. Absolutely. Like, way better than anybody had any right to expect. Even get a little bit of humor injected in there in the third round when Jamie <laughs> Varner gets 30 seconds into the fight and realizes that he forgot to put his mouthpiece in and freaks yeah. out and yeah. calls timeout. You know, that fight had a little something of everything. Like, you have those kind of things, and then... We get back to this question of, 
is that enough? Is it enough just to have exciting fights if the stakes aren't aren't high enough? In, in to say to go up and say whoever has most impressive win that that person's getting a, a title shot. Like, is that enough? Is that number one contender stuff that they keep trying to do with the Fox fights? Is that enough to draw people in? And is it helpful if like you know people who watch that? The same problem they had with the Diaz Miller one. If the title fight itself doesn't happen for eight months after right, that, right. who is still who still has that in their mind? Who is driven to buy the pay per view that otherwise wouldn't be? Yeah, I would like I said. I think a couple of times a year you need to put whoever you want your biggest star to be on those shows and, and hope that like some name recognition is is established. Because if you were just you know average Joe guy flipping through the channels uh, and you landed on this fight and you watched say Lyoto Machida knock out Ryan Bader. I would wager that the, there's good odds that, that as of today, you have no idea who those two guys were, right? You could be like, oh, this one guy, this big guy with tattoos, man, but he got knocked <laughs> out, man. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It seems, I guess it's a big question in my mind what they're even trying to do at this point with these Fox cards because Dana White, every time he gets asked, Dana White, his response is like, oh, man, just wait and see what we do. Just yeah. wait and see what we do with these cards. It's going to be huge. And it's just like, well, man, how long do we have to wait before one of these enormous, like, left-turn, mind-blowing uh, happenings occurs before our eyes and, and Dana White's master plan is revealed to all and yeah. suddenly we we have to do a whole show where we apologize because it was so awesome like when well, does that happen you know and i think some of it is remember when they had that first one and it was uh kane velasquez and junior dos santos yeah. for the heavyweight title and you would turn on a football game in fall you know you're watching nfl on fox and they would just have those brief ads for it would just be like heavyweight championship of the world free on saturday night yeah. live yeah. and it's like that's boom like, so many people who might be potential fight fans, that's all they need to hear, right? And they're they're in. That you don't have to try and explain to them, like, these guys are going to fight, and one of them is going to get to fight for a title against the winner of this other fight. And it'll, yeah, and, you know, and, the, and now, when Dan, that, and I agree with you, that event I thought was awesome. I think that was, that was almost perfect. Uh, you just would have liked to see a little bit more actual fighting on yeah, that Yeah, I show, mean, in that part you can't control. That, but, I mean, like, imagine if you put Anderson Silva on a Fox card and you just have like a bunch of promos running during football season that say the greatest fighter in the world oh, yeah. is fighting for free on Saturday night. I mean, even if you don't really know enough to gauge what that claim is supposed to mean, you want to tune in and check it out, right? Yeah, I agree with you. And that uh, Velasquez Dos Santos fight was awesome and I think was the right way to go with the Fox show. And yet when Dana White talks about that one now, he seems almost dismissive about it. And it's like he has these talking points that he always goes to like every time he gets asked about it he says well the thing that people don't understand about that fight even though i think we all clearly understand this about this fight at this point was that it wasn't part of the fox deal that fox came to him and was like hey let's kick this off in a big way yeah. let's put a heavyweight title fight out there and it's to me it's almost like well you did that and that was awesome so yeah, why how well didn't it you just keep doing it because <laughs> yeah. it's almost like they've taken a step back in terms of uh, I mean, I guess this one, it, 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 it was awesome. It played out really well. But but like as if you look at the cards, each Fox card, with maybe the exception of this one, has had less and less like punch in terms of like name recognition and and promotability as they've gone along. Yeah. And I can see that if you want to use it to build people up, fine. But you have to be building towards something quickly off of that because people are just not going to walk around uh, with that stuff in their heads forever. If you don't, if you can't tell them like, okay this dude who you watched and you got emotionally invested in his fight and here's where you can see him again. 
you know, and they, that's the, been the problem with the winners of pretty much all the the big number one contender fights uh, that they've had on Fox is they're like, you know, where's uh, where, where's the the winners of like the last three, right? You know, it took months and months for for any of that stuff to materialize, and now we don't know how long it's going to take for Machida to get his title shot. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a maybe a question of taking some time and figuring it out, figuring out what it's worth, what you're willing to sacrifice in order to, to do something big with those Fox cards. Because I remember when that, that Fox deal was announced, it was like, okay, here's the game changer. Yeah. The, 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 everything is about to be turned upside down, and I don't feel like that's happened. I feel like it's a slightly bigger Spike TV fight night. Yeah, it's, it, it feels like they're putting on Spike TV like Plus or something. Yeah. Spike TV Platinum. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you should talk to Spike TV about that. I've talked to them. They won't They won't take my calls anymore. Uh, yeah, well, I don't blame them there. Um, so, yeah, anything else you want to say about this? Like, what? where do we go from here? Like, I agree with you. I, I don't think that, they're, that they've really put their best product out there, their best fighters. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like they're creating a narrative. It doesn't feel like any of these, these events are really building toward anything. It doesn't feel like, certainly they're not related in yeah. any way. At the same time, you know, just sheer fight-wise and action-wise, you couldn't ask for more than what they got on Saturday night. Yeah. So, I mean, let's not be totally negative. Let's 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 point that out. And then perhaps time good time to move on to round two where we actually talk about the the matchmaking mess at light heavyweight now and uh, what's happening there as a result of this most recent Before card. we segue into round two, we'll do uh, one of our recurring features here on the podcast, Tips for a Well-Rounded Fight Fan, uh, where Ben and I each humbly offer up a suggestion of, of something non-MMA-related that you can either read or watch or listen to or take in live like a puppet show. I don't know. We've never really done that. Yet. Yet. Tell uh, us. You got a good puppet show? Tell us. Maybe we talk about it on air. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, I should point out that over the weekend on Twitter, I was uh, I was making fun of that new movie that's coming out about the guy who's the bike messenger that they were advertising <laughs> during the during the Fox show. And Wait, come of, on. We haven't seen a good bike movie since Rad. See all well, the cool tricks the thing. that was, was like doing? The, the, the snarky tweet that I sent out was finally someone has made a movie about bike messengers. <laughs> and this dude that I correspond with occasionally on Twitter, uh, I think he STL Bites. Uh, hit hit me up immediately and was like, I thought you were well-rounded, question mark, what about Quicksilver? I looked it up, apparently a movie from 1986 where Kevin Bacon plays a bike messenger. Wow. So that's a tip for the well-rounded fight fan from Twitter follower uh, this week that you might want to check out. I'm going to have to check that out. Do you have a tip? I do. My tip for the well-rounded fight fan also relates to Twitter. Uh, perhaps you've heard in the news that... Uh, in an incredibly difficult operation that sounds like it should be beyond the scope of humanity, uh, NASA lowered down a huge uh, Mars rover the size of a, a car using some kind of cranes attached to rockets, attached to parachutes. Again, how do we even do this bullshit? It's, it, it's crazy to think about. But you can follow the Curiosity rover on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mars Curiosity. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially because the rover tweets in the first person. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. in a kind of playful tone, uh, as if he just wants to let you know what's going on in that crater on Mars, you know? It just... Just keeping you updated, showing you some pictures that he snapped. Uh, you know, it's Wait, like... Does he use Instagram at all? <laughs> I don't know exactly what he... The, the pictures so far that he's put up on Twitter, I'm not going to lie to you, are not that great. You know, you just kind of wonder like, hey, didn't they give this thing an iPhone? <laughs> you had to let him take a picture with that? But uh, 
a, a fun little thing if you're a nerd and like to follow stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, you can see what the, the Curiosity rover is up to. I mean, hey, let's be honest. You're probably not going to go wander around a 90-mile-wide crater on the surface of Mars. So this is the next best thing. They're just filming that in a sound stage somewhere in yeah, Here we go. Here you we know, go. Joe Rogan's going to do a podcast about it. <laughs> just exposing it all. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have two because the earlier in the in the show I was reminded by Ben Folks that my brother has a book that came out last yeah. year and if you haven't that? read it you should The Renegade Sportsman by Zach Dundas you should read that hit it up uh, it's it's a good read uh, my my actual uh, tip for the well rounded fight fan this week comes I should say via uh, Danny Acosta fellow MMA journalist who put this out on on Twitter this week and I saw it and I read it and it ruined my day uh, so I think you should read it because it will also ruin your day it's the article from Rolling Stone uh, I don't know if it is in this the current issue or or a recent issue but you can find it on the internets it's called Global Warming's Terrifying New Math by Bill McKibben and it will just depress the shit out of you because I think the point of it is we're we're all dead there's nothing we can do at this hey, point well, let's start living like it right. Yeah, see, well, that, that's that, that's 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 the concern right there. Some a hole <laughs> like you is going to find out about it, and from there, it's just let's we'll all I'll, end up end up wearing animal skins. And I'll tell you what, throwing bones at each let's other. Let's shut this thing off right now and go get a big bag of cocaine because the whole thing's going up in flames, Daddy. Let's do all it. All right, we're going to shut this thing off and get a whole big bag of cocaine, and then we'll be back for round number two, which, as far as you know, starts right now. <laughs> So, Chad, on Saturday night, UFC on Fox 4, Lyoto Machida wins, and we're told, because he really, really wants it, he gets the next crack at the UFC light heavyweight title. Meanwhile, Shogun Hua wins... Decides, you know, maybe he doesn't want it bad enough in the eyes of Dana White, who was prepared to just give it to the winner of that fight anyway until people got mad at him for it. So Shogun Hua gets passed over. My question to you, what the hell is going on at light heavyweight? What should be going on? And coming out of, out of that show, what do you make of, of the various light heavyweight performances that we saw? Uh, but you know, I didn't like it. We talked about this last week and I didn't like it at the time. The whole totally bizarre, we're going to take four guys. They're going to have two fights. Whoever looks the most impressive is going to be promoted to number one contender status. It almost undoes the entire idea of having a number one contender, because I think that that implies that you have worked your way up in some way that is linear and, and halfway logical. Whereas this just seemed like a, a kind of a put them all in a bag, shake them up and see who comes out type situation. And as the week progressed and as we got closer to fight night, I honestly, I got more mad about it and it, and it didn't dawn on me like how much I didn't like it until we were actually sitting there watching the fights. And, and then, you know, it finally dawned on me that Shogun and Vera were going to have a four round fight and Machida and Bader. Well, five were gonna, round. Well, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. A four round fight does not exist. <laughs> uh, they, they did actually end up having a four round fight, but uh, uh, they were supposed to have a five round fight and Machida and Bader were scheduled for a three round fight. So it's like, 
the nature of both of those athletic contests is that you have to come at the two of them with totally different game plans. Right. Because if, one of them is almost twice as long as the other one, yeah. so you have and to have if, a, a if, different uh, game plan. If Hua and Vera had been a three-round fight, then you know that one ends and, and goes to decision, right? So uh, and Either that or one of those guys has a knockout in the first round because they, they figure they can go for broke. They don't have to like yeah. plan for a five-rounder. Well, and also there's other variables when you look at that too because it's like when we're trying to gauge what's most impressive uh you know machida basically did a the machida counter striking strategy where he just a willingness to to get booed if necessary to frustrate the hell out of you uh and then just hope that eventually in an attempt to make something happen you'll do something stupid because hey you've got to try and win impressively too right if you're ryan bader uh bader couldn't get close to him and so eventually just figured fuck it charged right in there and got knocked out i mean it's like, in a weird way, kind of taking advantage of the other guy's need to make something exciting happen. Like, does that is that more impressive somehow than Shogun's going in there against an opponent who, you know, record-wise is not as good as the opponent, at least lately, is not as good as the opponent that Machida faced, uh, and, you know, going out there and blitzing him. Because as far as, like, fighting style, if we're talking about impressive meaning exciting... Then you got to give the the edge to Shogun there, right? Yeah, I I mean I suppose I don't. Man, See, I don't, this is why it's a fucked up metric to use to begin with. Yeah, and not only that, it's like when we talk about all the things that are wrong and fucked up about it, it's almost like I don't even know where to start because we just <laughs> talked about it for like five minutes and we haven't even mentioned the fact that John Jones has already beat all four of these fucking guys. <laughs> I mean, not to challenge LeBron James or channel LeBron James, but not one, not two. Not three. He's beat all fucking four of them. And, <laughs> and he beat just beat Leota Machida in December, yeah. less than a year ago. And now we're supposed to we're supposed to be interested in them fighting again, like something different is going to happen. Because at the end of the day, we just spent around talking about how this was a great fight, or this was a great card. All the fights were good. They all delivered to the, for the most part. Uh, but if the point of the evening was to convince any of us that either Machida or Shogun would have a different outcome in another fight with John Jones, I think you have to call it a failure because right. Well, I, and I mean, okay. Here's the thing. I know, especially if John Jones defends his title against Dan Henderson, and it does end up being John Jones, Leo Machida too. How many times are we gonna have to hear promos and people talking it up, saying how Machida won a round, a round against John Jones? How many right. times am I gonna have to hear that? It's gonna be like Henry was a monster all over again. One, they're gonna say it one million times, and they're gonna totally ignore the fact that that. John Jones's toughest defi- title defense as the light heavyweight champion was against Rashad Evans. Yes. It's uh, going to be like Rashad Evans doesn't exist. Yeah. Unless yeah. there's a highlight of Machida knocking him out. <laughs> but then, yeah, we're going to, oh, Machida won round one, won round one, and then got his head cut open in round two and was choked unconscious and dropped on his face like a sack of pot pies. That's yeah. a new one I just made yeah, up. Yeah, a bag of dirty laundry. <laughs> uh, but, I mean... You can just already see how that stuff is going to unfold in some kind of an attempt to sell us on it. When, if anything, the fact that John Jones was maybe a little confused with Machida's style in round one of that fight, but figured it out by round two, only makes me think that the rematch will be less competitive and not more. Because now he's seen it. Yeah. You know, he, he figured it out pretty quickly as it was. Now he's not going to have that problem. You know, of all the things that we've seen that Machida can do, a whole lot of uh, variance in his style is not one of them. The thing he does, he does really well, but, I mean, that's his thing. 
right? Now, if John Jones has this figured out, what uh, with what would Leo de Machida hope to threaten John Jones? Yeah, he's not going to wave his karate arms at him, in the, <laughs> in the words of listener Stu. Uh, you and I were talking about this last night when we were at my wife's baby shower, just to let the listeners, yeah, give just, the listeners a terrifying glimpse into our personal lives. Yeah. Uh, and I said it then, and I'll in say In fairness, it, though, I was drunk, so... I think that should be put out there. So Everyone was having a good time. Uh, I said it then. I'm going to say it again now. If all is, if all were right with the world and the mixed martial arts world were an entirely different place, there would be no way on God's green earth that John Jones should accept another fight with Leota Machida less than a year after he already beat the guy. He's got nothing to prove by fighting him again, and I think the only way he would he even ends up taking it is because he doesn't want to piss off the UFC, and because his personal capital is probably at an all-time low after what seems like his like one thousandth automotive-related mishap calamity. Yeah, you, you crash your Bentley into a, a pole. That's when not the best time to be dictating terms. But then, didn't we just say that champions should not be going around saying who they will and won't fight? Didn't we just say that? Yeah, we did. But th- don't you think in this case he has a, a fucking valid point? Like, how many times do you have to beat a guy just because the UFC doesn't want you to fight Alexander Gustafson yet? You know, you know yeah. And I think the... The thing to remember is not only are fans going to have a hard time getting up for this one. Remember John Jones saying after Leota Machida fight that he initially had a little bit of a difficult time motivating himself to fight Leota Machida? How is it going to be now that he's already beat the fucking guy? And now you got to go fight him again. you got to feel bad for him at that point. But then he does create this problem for you because you look around at light heavyweight and you see a bunch of dudes who John Jones has already beaten. Or dudes who have been beaten by the dudes that John Jones has beaten. Because, you know, it's like, okay, what, Phil Davis? Well, Phil Davis got beat by Rashad Evans, who got beat by John Jones. What, Alexander Gustafson, who got beat by Phil Davis, who got beat by, you know, you can, you can do that all day long. It makes you wonder, is the only thing, are we quickly approaching the point after the Dan Henderson fight, if John Jones wins it, where the only thing for John Jones to do is to go up to heavyweight and let these other guys sort something out at light heavyweight for themselves? I think it is, and, and by the time this podcast becomes available to the listener, there will be an article on ESPN.com by Chad Dundas saying that that's the, exactly what Uh-oh. has to happen. Uh, be, because Jones has talked in the past about the heavyweight division being in his future, you know, almost all along. And I think for him, the future is now because there's not anything left for him to do. It, once light, he beats Dan Henderson. Light heavy, yeah, once, he, once a giant 25-year-old light heavyweight beats a 41-year-old middleweight, but here's the thing. he can, oh, he can every, go ahead and move on to, to fight heavy, at heavyweight. Everybody or, is or just either that or the Anderson Silva fight, which would be the biggest fight in the history of mixed martial arts, and neither guy wants it to happen. Everybody is acting like that fight is just a scrimmage, though. Like, nobody seems to be taking it seriously that, like, John Jones... It's like we all throw in the caveat, like, if he, if he maintains his title, just because we don't want to seem like dicks. Yeah, but, but we're you, all assuming that he's going to be You know as well as I do that we... That everyone thinks Dan Henderson has one chance to win that fight, and it's to land the H-bomb, as Mauro Ranallo would say, to land the, the huge overhand right that he uses to win fights. Uh, and if it goes longer than eight minutes, I don't know that Dan Henderson has a, has a great shot at it. And just considering John Jones's length and his reach and his ability to use those kicks, which he does a lot with guys that he knows wants to slug with him, uh, I just don't see it, man. And I know that you don't either, I don't, I don't. think. I know. So you just said that whole thing about Dan Henderson as like a public service announcement. Basically. Or something. I, well, I just feel like 
we should talk about how much none of us are talking about that. Sure. Yeah. And hey, personal on a personal note, not that I the, not that I prefer one fighter or the other, but I think it would be way more awesomer if Dan Henderson won that fight just because it would give us something to talk about and it may well cement Henderson's, you know, it would put Henderson right up there with Anderson Silva at least in the latter stages of his career as being one of the best. Because man, you you knock out Fedor and then you have the, you know, a candidate for the greatest fight of all time against Shogun, and then you knock out John Jones, that's pretty goddamn impressive. Yeah, that's the point where you would think that a normal person would say, all right, and I'm out. Yeah, Walk I, out on top. But I said that last week yeah. and, or two weeks ago, and you scoffed at me. Yeah, no, because Literally fighters don't think like normal me. people. Anyway, yeah, uh, and, and I was thinking about this week, and I was, I was this week, and I was talking about it with people on Twitter, and I came to the conclusion, let's, I mean, if John Jones did move up to heavyweight, there's almost no uninteresting matchup for him. In that division, because I asked people, I was like, who do you want to, who, if John Jones moved Stephen up, Struve, your who, boy Stephen Struve. who would you want to see him fight first? And people said a bunch of different names and every single one of them was awesome. And one of them was Stephen Struve, which I think would be an <laughs> uh, awesome you, fight just from the standpoint Stephen of, Struve. it's the guy with guys with the two longest reaches in UFC history. And they're both guys who always have these enormous physical advantages over their opponents. And now they have to fight each other. And I guess you just want to see another instance where Stephen Struve gets knocked out and it looks like a giraffe suddenly having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> the, actually, here, here's what surprised me. The name that far and away got brought up most often as the guy that people wanted to see Jones fight first in the heavyweight division was Czech Congo. What? And that surprised me. Because they want to see Czech Congo killed? I guess. I mean, I, I guess the interesting thing would be to see if Jones could take him down, which I think he could, and then it would be over. I think that that, that position can only be born out of malice for Czech Congo. That's <laughs> the only reason. That way. That's the only it didn't reason. It seemed like these people had fight. ill intentions toward Czech Congo. Before we move on from from this round, one thing I want to say: we, we touched on it briefly, but Brandon Vera's performance against Shogun Hua. Yeah. Where the hell was this guy? Exactly. The guy. I mean, because physically, I didn't see him doing anything that we haven't seen him. That you know, he hasn't seemed capable of before. Physically, he seemed to be more or less the same guy, but his will to win uh, and like his just general. I don't know, I don't want to say desperation, but like obstinance yeah, about big, staying in the fight. Yeah, we the, haven't seen that from before. If he's not better than you right away, he kind of folds up a little bit. Or at least doesn't look like he is. he would rather die than lose the fight. And this one, it was just like, man, you know, you're, you're going to have to put him to sleep to get him out of there. Where has that been? Yeah, that was my question too. You could see like the urgency. You could almost like, I don't want to use the word literally because I hate it when people misuse that <laughs> word, but like you could almost literally see the urgency in his body language. Like when things started to turn a little bit rough for him and he got bloodied up by Shogun, you could like see him almost hulking up uh, Hulk Hogan <laughs> style. And he was just like came out away from the cage with this like l determination that we haven't seen from him in a long time. And I think I said at the time, like, if, if Vera had shown any of that determination at any point during the last, say, five years, I don't think we would be having the same conversation about him that we're having now, which is this was kind of a do-or-die situation yeah. for him, and he didn't win, so I don't really know where he goes from here. Well, and the thing is, is, is that what it's going to take for him? Like, does he have to walk right up to the edge of his entire career falling apart? before he gets passionate enough about it to scratch and claw his way back in? Or now that he has reached that point, is that just kind of how it's going to be from here on out? Because I don't know how many more chances you're going to get to do that. Like, he needs to be that guy all the time from here on out, unless he wants to be remembered as kind of a cautionary tale about early potential uh, 
not being realized later on in a career, which if his career were over today, that's what we would remember him for. Yeah. And like, I think that that's a good point that, I mean, that this has been Vera's problem all along. His problem has been that he doesn't seem to be able to amp himself up and show that urgency in these other fights until this stage when it seemed like real, really do or die for him. And I thought that the UFC did a good job of selling him on this broadcast as the guy who was sort of a lost prospect, you know, a guy who a few years ago was actually talking about being as comical as it was talking about being the light heavyweight and heavyweight champion at the same time. And then went through all this adversity and kind of fell off the face of the earth and, and, uh, then I guess had just been inserted into this situation and and had been given this this great opportunity career defining opportunity um, and yeah I think he he made the most of it I guess he didn't win but uh, he certainly afforded himself better than I think we all thought that he would uh, and as you said to me last night there's nobody in the sport that that is unable to hide their tiredness like Shogun Hua yeah that guy he, he, there's no middle tired there's no like getting a little tired for Shogun. It's just like straight out the gates, fresh and ferocious, and then drunk legs, where he's just kind of wobbling around and is wheezing and taking huge deep breaths on the ground. Yeah, like, he, but then he, he still fights well and hard, even when he looks super tired. Yeah, he goes from being one of the most ruthless light heavyweights of all time to being a local heavyweight, like a guy you would see at the bingo hall. If you went down there who fought another fat guy and after 10 minutes ended up like they were just standing there holding their shorts and wheezing at each other. Like you mentioned Mark Coleman as another one of those guys that cannot hide when he gets tired, but like those kind of guys that get so tired that watching them makes you tired. Like you feel like you're out of breath just because, you know, the guy is so clearly running on empty there. But then that's the thing with Shogun. Like he doesn't get so tired that he, you know, he never runs all the way out of gas. He's like that car where the light comes on, but he can still make it to the next gas station. Like he's still going to be in there. Again, though, about Shogun, look at his last few fights. I mean, that guy is putting his body through the ringer. How much longer can Shogun keep it up if he keeps having these kinds of fights? Yeah. There's, unless he knocks the guy out in the first couple of minutes, it's never an easy night for him. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it's because John Jones is so huge and is, by all rights, probably a heavyweight fighting at, at light heavyweight, but when you see Leota Machida weigh in at 201, and not look sucked up at all, like look like he could, like he hadn't even started his weight cut yet. And when you see Shogun Hua uh, go, go out there and, and fight Brandon Vera, don't you feel like those guys are both middleweights? Because that's, I mean, that's how I felt when I was watching it. I was just like, man, neither of these guys, they just don't have the physical uh, presence or the physical tools, I don't think, to really like take the title. What you're saying is you think that you could bench press more than both Leota Machida and Shogun Hua. Yeah, book it. Yeah. Probably I could. No, there's no possible way. Is there? I mean, unless those guys, <laughs> unless those guys just don't lift weights, which is entirely possible. I think I think you and Machida have a bench press off at the Missoula YMCA. I think you got a shot. Oh, if it's on my home turf, I I like my chances. Frankly, yeah, yeah. I take that walking away. Yeah, you do. You'll wear them around like a button. Anyway, before we go on to round number three, uh, are you fucking kidding me? One of our recurring uh, pr- uh, features on the show where. Uh, w- How would you describe Are You Fucking Kidding Me? It seems almost self-explanatory. Yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, we're just going to ask if you're fucking kidding us or not, and uh, it's implied that we think you are, or should be. Yeah, so by way of example, I'll just do mine. Okay. Which is, man, UFC, you get me all pumped up and excited about the ref cam, and then you don't even use it? Are you fucking kidding me, man? You fucking kidding me? 
You really wanted to see that ref cam? I did, man. I wanted to know what Steve Mazzagatti was looking at. <laughs> I wanted to just to I don't be know his if shoes. You do. <laughs> I just wanted to see a shot of his shoes or like him reading National Geographic or something. I, don't, I never really liked the ref cam when they did it in Pride. Yeah, no, it's a stupid idea. But I still like don't talk about it all week and 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 get me amped up for it, and then it doesn't even show its face. It's one like time. when they toyed with your emotions on the Daniel Cormier Tim Sylvia fight. Exactly. Yeah. My are you fucking kidding me goes out to Dana White who. Just a couple of weeks ago, when talking about TRT, uh, testosterone replacement therapy, with ESPN, referred to it as junk and said that he thought that you know the sport needed to get rid of it. Uh, and then talking to Fox Sports recently, just a matter of weeks later, uh, says, hey, it's 100% legal. I think some of these guys who are getting older, they need it, uh, and it should just be done the right way. You can't completely reverse your position in a couple of weeks and use the defense it is currently legal. The whole debate is about whether it should be legal or not. Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to just flip-flop on it that quickly? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, that's it for round number two. We'll be coming up with the last segment in the show for this week, round number three, which starts right now. Round three. Ben, remember in Pride when uh, Gilbert Ivel got disqualified for trying to put out uh, Don Fry's eyes, and when, after the fight had been called off, and, and Gilbert Ivel did his "Man, Why I Always Getting Fucked" uh, interview. <laughs> man, why I always getting fucked, man? Yeah, exactly. And as he was leaving the ring, Don Fry jumped on the mic and was like, "Gilbert." Gilbert, we can do it again, brother. We can do it again. That's a pretty decent Don Fry. Thank you. Uh, shouldn't Frankie Edgar say that at the end of every one of his fights? <laughs> because he does do it again with the guy almost every time. Pretty much every time. So this weekend, UFC 150, is that what we're dealing with 150. here? 150. 150. Halfway to 300. Uh, uh, Frankie Edgar will vie to get his title back from Ben Smooth Henderson uh, after losing it in somewhat disputed fashion, I guess. But uh, the, the truth is really that all of Frankie Edgar's fights up to this point have been disputed, except for the one where he knocked out Gray Maynard. Yeah, uh, well, and the second time we fought BJ Penn, he won a pretty clear decision. But again, that is kind of the problem with Frankie Edgar, that a lot of his fights, either whether he wins or loses... There's too much of a case for doing it again. La- Here's a trivia question for you. Ooh. Don't look at it. Okay. Last time Frankie Edgar fought someone who is not named Ben Henderson, Gray Maynard, or BJ Penn. Well, you would have to be the guy he fought. He didn't roll straight from the Gray Maynard fight into BJ Penn, right? No. So it would have to be the guy that he fought before that. Who which was? was Dan Miller. Matt Veach. Oh, in how could I forget, forget Matt Veach? <laughs> December 5th, 2009. Yeah, wow. Since then, it's been this, you know, these same three guys. Now he's got, he, he did, it, did it twice with BJ Penn, twice with Gray Maynard, and now it's going to get the second time with Ben Henderson. I mean, here's the problem. The, oh, I think the problem is clear, but anyway, go ahead. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get deep on it here. Lightweight class, mm-hmm. the most talent-rich division in MMA and in the UFC. Right. And this is what we have at the top over and over again are these rematches for the title. And, I mean, it's like Frankie Edgar used the fact that he was forced to do this 
as leverage to get himself this rematch with Ben Henderson because he said, look, didn't I have to turn around and do it twice with, with BJ Penn? And then, you know, he had the draw with Gray Maynard, so obviously they did that one again. Uh, you know, I feel like this one, regardless of whether he wins or loses, the UFC's got to go to him and say, look, we're square now. No more no more of you using these examples of times when you had to do it again, brother, uh, in order to force someone else to give you a rematch. For Christ's sake, we've got to move on. Fair or not, whether you think, you know, because it's like, whoa, what happens if Frank Yeager wins a really close decision and then Ben Henderson cries foul? And then what, we got to do it three times? No, we have to move on with our lives. We well, cannot I think do this over and over again. If history teaches us anything, it's that this one will be a draw, right? <laughs> and we're, chances are we're looking at a draw. Or a no weekend. contest due to groin shots. <laughs> well, that would certainly be more fun uh, and would be something we would get to watch over and over oh, again. Joe Rogan would love to replace on that one. Uh, I don't remember when they when the, the event number when they first fought, but did you think Ben Henderson won that fight? I had it scored for Frankie Edgar, uh, I seem to recall, before it was announced. UFC 144 in Tokyo is one you're talking about. Uh, you know, I can't remember who I had it scored for. I feel like maybe I scored it for Ben Henderson, but I'm not totally sure. I mean, it's, it was so close that I... You know, I couldn't get mad either way that one goes. But again, I also remember thinking, even afterwards when Frankie Edgar was making his case that, hey, I had to give the guy a rematch when it was close. He should have to give me a rematch when it's close. And I remember thinking, you're right, that would be fair. I still don't want to see it. <laughs> I just want to see, there's so many good fighters at 155. I, I just want to see new title fights. It's hard to, to get up a, a lot of energy for this one. Just because, again, all right, we're gonna and we're probably gonna go five rounds again. Uh, you know, it, it just feels like we're we're retreading the same ground over and over again. Yeah, and honestly, what has gotten into Ben Henderson? Remember, he lost that the the last WEC fight, the last fight in WEC history, because uh, Anthony Pettis like defied the laws of space and and gravity and flew off the cage and yeah. ever since then traveled back in time to first kick Hitler in the face and then came all the way back through and kicked Ben Henderson in the face. Uh, and ever since that happened, like Ben Henderson has been a goddamn juggernaut. He's just been tearing up everybody. Uh, and, and yeah, the fight with, with Frankie Edgar has been close, but, but honestly uh, it surprised me at the time that, that he was able to, to win the fight. And, and also that it seems like maybe he is sort of the new vanguard for the lightweight division of being like, uh, uh, you know, bringing his, his athletic tools to the, to the game and being this kind of like a big and, and long and, and well-rounded fighter. It just seems like, uh, almost like he came out of, I know he didn't come out of nowhere, obviously, cause he was the WEC lightweight champion before he lost to Anthony Pettis. But, uh, but it almost feels like he has overachieved or come out of nowhere and, and has become this, like, uh, you know, the number one lightweight in the world, arguably. Well, yeah, and but that's the thing. Like, don't you want to see him fight some new people now? I guess so. Like, yeah. when, you know, I think it was a big surprise to everybody when he went in and just mauled Jim Miller. And that was, I think, when the first people started to say, like, oh, okay, well, he's going to obviously do pretty well in the UFC's lightweight class. Uh, then he beat Clay Guida in that pretty close but pretty clear decision. That was an awesome fight on the, the first UFC on Fox card, even though they, they did not air that one uh, during the broadcast. But, you know, then he, he wins a pretty close one against Frank Edgar, and it's like, all right, well, I'd love to see him fight Anthony Pettis again. I'd love to see him fight a bunch of those guys at, at lightweight. I mean, I think there's just a ton of interesting matchups there. Uh, I feel like especially at lightweight, especially at some of the lighter weight classes where they're more prone to go to this decision. And when you got two really tough guys and it's probably going to be a close fight anyway, 
if we start having this precedent where because because you lost the title on a close decision that gives you a right to ask for an immediate rematch and kind of hold up the division i mean you're just going to kill any kind of forward momentum because of the name of our podcast i feel almost required that we talk about the co-main event oh, of God. this of this card the, the the fight that i honestly will think will be funner to watch of Wait. donald cerrone against melvin melvin gallard have, have we reached an era is there ever a card that doesn't have a co-main event no i think now? they all do because they all have more than one fight <laughs> and like the, whatever one is before the main event is the it's obviously the co-main event yeah i mean what happens if like all the other uh fights that were scheduled for the main card slowly get knocked off until you know it's like ben henderson frank yeager's at the top of the card and and the number two fight is dennis bermudez versus tommy hayden does then dennis bermudez versus tommy hayden become the co-main event yeah absolutely man <laughs> for sure just be lucky it's not Justin Lawrence against Max Holloway, which is going to be on the the pay-per-view portion of this weekend's card. So, you know, part of where your money is going is to that is to that one. Just keep that in mind as you order. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Do- Donald Cerrone against Melvin Gillard. Uh, two f- teammates or former teammates before Gillard kind of decamped and, and has gone to train with the Black Zillions in, in, in Florida and elsewhere, I believe. Uh, but still, I think his heart truly lies back in, in, in Albuquerque with the Greg Jackson camp. But clearly, man, Donald Cerrone will fight anybody. He doesn't give a fuck. He'd probably doesn't fight, probably fight his roommate, uh, Leonard Garcia. I they probably he, have fight. They probably do fight every weekend. <laughs> I believe you said that he would fight Leonard Garcia. They got to go out there and get that paper, son. Here's the thing. I don't know if you've talked on it, talked about it before on the podcast. Some of my favorite of your on the road uh, tales are when you went to what was it Daytona Beach? Yeah, Daytona Beach, Florida for Bike Week. <laughs> you and Melvin Guillard. Yeah, Gallard. Yeah, it was supposed to be Diego Sanchez. I get. Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you the story from the start. I did it for Crave Online, who you used to be the weekly MMA columnist for. Way back when. And then when you quit, you were like, hire this other nobody that anybody's ever heard of. (laughs) And uh, so they they hired me, and they did. (laughs) And so I, for a while, was the weekly uh, uh, MMA columnist for Crave Online, which was a job that I think we both did because you could do it in an hour. And they would send you the money yeah, every time. They, they would actually send you the money that they promised And also, to. former Crave Online managing editor Ahmad Childress is a rad dude. Totally sweet dude. So that's, that's why but we did it. But they sent you out to Bike Week. Yeah. He, like, out of the blue, this company that I have almost no relationship with, like, Ahmad emails me and he's like, hey, man, do you want to go for free down to Florida to go to Bike Week with uh, Diego Sanchez, who's going to be doing an appearance for Star Motorcycles, which I found out later is a subsidiary of Yamaha. Uh, and, and I was like, well, and at the time, like, you know how this goes. Like when I first got the email, I thought there's no possible fucking way that that happens. <laughs> so of course I replied and I was like, yeah, sure, man. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Whatever. Book it. Whatever. Yeah. Call me when it's, when I'm supposed to leave. So they did and they did book it and I did go and, uh, Diego Sanchez didn't show up because he had just gotten the tar beat out of him by, uh, I think it was when he fought Martin uh, Campman. Campman. Yeah. yeah. He, he suffered injuries so bad that they wouldn't let him get on a plane. Probably because his face did not match his photo ID anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so they sent Melvin instead. Uh, and, man, it was it was awesome because Melvin was so excited to be at Bike Week. It was kind of, like, <laughs> mind-blowing. We went to a uh, Daytona 
supercross race, like a motorcycle race. I don't remember what it was called, like American Superbike. And it, these guys were riding enormous motorcycles and going like 200 miles an hour, and somebody wrecked on the first lap. That caused <laughs> awesome. They had to bring the ambulance out, and some guy left on a stretcher. And much to my surprise, Melvin Gillard couldn't have been more into this motorcycle race. Like, <laughs> he was all about it, and he was super excited. And uh, this trip down to Florida caught caused him to want to get a motorcycle. Oh God, it's a terrible uh, idea. For and when I athlete. asked him about it, he told me he was going to get a cruiser and not a, a sport bike or whatever they're called, because in his own words, he would kill himself on a sport bike. So there you <laughs> Didn't go. Didn't he also tell you that, and this is back when he was training at Jackson's, that Donald Cerrone was straight up mafioso yeah, and that he was just that, talking about what a badass and, and just cold motherfucker yeah, Donald did, Cerrone was. He did use those words. Yeah. And it, it has proven prophetic, I guess, because <laughs> here they are now they're about to fight. Um, and you do like when you talk to Donald Cerrone, uh, as a reporter, he's one of my favorite guys in yeah. the sport because you do get the impression, like a lot of guys you talk to and they're super nice and they're, and, and you walk away from it, like we've said in the past, being like, man, why is that guy a pro fighter? It just doesn't even seem right. Donald Cerrone, you talk to him and you get the impression that there is no other job in the world besides perhaps mafia hitman that he could, <laughs> that he would be happier to do because he genuinely appears to like hurting people yeah it's like if i were running a gambling hall dance hall type deal in butte montana in uh, the 1920s during yeah. a mining boom yeah. and i had to have a bouncer at the door to to keep the rougher element out and to keep everybody on their best behavior i want donald cerrone i mean you know maybe alistair overeem is the kind of guy you look to you, you have him at the door to intimidate people you know, yeah. to send a message. But as far as the guy, I want to go in there and, you know, hitting people upside the head with a blackjack and throwing them out the back door. Donald Cerrone will do that. Yes. I remember right before he fought Charles Oliveira, he cut the sweet interview at the open workouts where he talked about how he couldn't wait to get in there and kick Charles Oliveira's ass because Charles Oliveira had looked at him funny <laughs> at one point before the fight which I thought was awesome because, I mean, they were going to fight, so I don't know how he expected Charles Oliveira <laughs> to look at him. But, yeah, he was essentially – uh, Don Cerrone essentially said he's got his coming pretty much, well, which was awesome. And then there you he go. did. <laughs> well, I guess now after talking about it, now that we've given you some background on how much Donald Cerrone uh, loves hurting people and how much Melvin Yard loves motorbike races, now you're super pumped about that co-made event, aren't you? UFC can send us the check. Yeah. Anytime they, anytime they want to, um, boy, man, that's probably about going to do it yeah. for, for this week's co-main event podcast. Hopefully uh, next week we will get Sir Nigel Longstock back from the road. He's probably on the road with uh, some kind of traveling theater company. I would assume this week, uh, and he, he will be back next week. We'll do a uh, master tweet theater. We'll, we'll get that, uh, out for you and we will recap what happens at UFC 150. uh, I assume we will do a round setting up the third fight between Ben Henderson and uh, Frankie Edgar. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just break it all down for you. Before we go, though, we would be remiss if we did not uh, break out everyone's favorite recurring segment on the podcast. Just saying stuff, the part of the show where Ben and I both say something that, uh, that we are then not asked to defend or back up or support in any way because we are just... Two guys in a room just saying stuff. Just saying. Uh, ben, you have to go first because I went first last time. Okay. My just saying stuff uh, goes out, and I don't know her name because it's like five names or something. Uh, the 
woman, and when I say woman, I mean teenage girl from Saudi Arabia who became the first Saudi Arabian woman to compete in the Olympics when she competed in judo and was given a one of the Olympics's special dispensations uh, to kind of try and encourage more of a more women's sports going on in Saudi Arabia since they're not really allowed to do that stuff over there still because um, they live in the Stone Age. Uh, and, you know, gave her a chance to be in the Olympics in the hope that, I guess, that it would encourage other Saudi Arabian women to want to be involved in sports. A noble, noble attempt, I think. I think sports is good for everybody, regardless of, of gender and culture and all that stuff. Uh, good, good thinking there. However, when you get on the mat and you look like a, you know, what she is, a scared teenage girl in a gi that doesn't even fit her, and you're at the damn Olympics, <laughs> I'm just saying... If you're going to compete in the Olympics, you might want to learn judo first. I'm just saying. Wow. I feel like a week or two ago you made fun of me because my just saying stuff was too long. Or maybe that was my tips for a well-rounded fight fan. That, it, was like, your, it was your uh, tips for a well-rounded fight fan because you recommended a book. Uh, and you, the way you got to that was yeah. by first talking about a movie made by a from a book by the same author, which you did not recommend. <laughs> But you just talked for like two minutes, and the end result is that you burned some like fifteen-year-old girl from Saudi Arabia for. Take wow, that. dude! Take Speaking that of girl straight from Saudi Arabia. mafioso, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think she's going to hear this. Folks, I don't. I don't ben think it's going to get back to I her. Bet she will. And if it does get back to her, I feel pretty confident I could beat her. Beat her in a judo match tomorrow, oh, wow. and I have a gi that fits better, so I'm already ahead of her. Wow. Okay. My just saying stuff is going to pale in comparison to that. I, I didn't know that that's what you were going to do. I feel like I just got blown out of the water yeah. now that I have to follow that. Uh, my just saying stuff, as lame as it sounds now, is going to be uh, UFC. If, if you want to do John Jones versus Leota Machida 2, that's fine. Just don't ask me to pay for it. Uh -oh. Just saying stuff. Uh -oh. Just saying. Anyway, that's the show for this week. We will be back next week where Ben Folks will make fun of more adolescent girls. And, uh, hey, they got it coming. We Somebody will... has to take those Saudi Arabian adolescent girls down a peg. Uh, he doesn't like the way they looked at him, folks. We'll be back <laughs> next week. Uh, recapping UFC 150 and so much more on the Co-Main Event Podcast. But for now, we're out. Man, that was like heartless thing to do that. She had it coming. Did you see it? She looked terrible. No, I didn't see it. There's someone who did not make the Olympics in judo who sat around and had to watch that and say, oh, come on, what the fuck, man? At least I know I knew judo. <laughs>